Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning, everyone. Good morning and happy Easter to all of you. I am so glad that all of you are here with us today. We want to say a warm welcome to you uh, in the room with us, as well as to everyone watching online. Happy Easter. We're so glad you're here. If you don't know me, my name is Dave Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. I've only been here at Knox about six months. So if you're looking at me thinking, who is this new guy? Now you know. Um, you're, I'm very glad to be here, and I'm thrilled to be here for my very first Easter here at Knox. So thanks for joining in with me to celebrate that occasion. The scripture I want to read for you this morning is from the Old Testament. It's from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And I have to admit that's not necessarily a traditional Easter choice for your scripture text. Some of you are familiar with the book of Ezekiel only from the works of that well-known Christian thinker, Quentin Tarantino, but this is not that. You're all perfectly safe, so don't worry about it. Um, Once I read this text from Ezekiel 37, I think you may start to understand why I've chosen it for today. Before I read it for you, let's pray. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we worship and adore you this morning. We ask you, Lord, to send your spirit among us. Enlighten our hearts and minds so that we might understand the message of your scripture and hear and believe its resurrection message. In the name of Jesus, whose tomb is empty, amen. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he had commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. 
Then God said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you might gather, the book of Ezekiel is a book written during a time of intense crisis for the Jewish people. For many years, the Israelites had their own kingdom centered in their capital city, Jerusalem. Their kings were strong, their armies were powerful, and foreign countries basically left them alone. And then things began to change. The kings became foolish and self-interested. The military got smaller and weaker, and foreign countries started nipping at their heels. Things got worse and worse, and finally, in the year 587 BC, more than 2,500 years ago, the empire of Babylon, located in modern-day Iraq, marched into Jerusalem, defeated its army, killed its king, and destroyed its temple, the spiritual and emotional center of the Jewish world. As you might imagine, these events caused a deep crisis of faith for the Jews. And the book of Ezekiel is written in the middle of that crisis, in the middle of those circumstances. And if we want to understand the prophet's vision, that's where we need to begin. It's built around a single poignant question. Can these bones live? God shows Ezekiel a valley filled with bones, bones so dry that they don't even come together to form a skeleton. There's no life in them. And God tells him the bones represent Israel, defeated, scattered, hopeless, dead. Can these bones live? You have to picture Ezekiel looking out over that field of bones and feeling the power of death all around him. Imagine him thinking of people he knows who are physically dead. People killed by Babylonian soldiers or crushed by a fleeing crowd or laid low by some disease. People as dead as those bones in front of him. Imagine him thinking of people he knows who are socially and emotionally dead, families ripped apart, mothers without sons and fathers without daughters, lovers and friends thousands of miles apart. Imagine people who can't do their jobs anymore, farmers who can't farm, bakers who can't bake, teachers who can't teach. Imagine what happens to Israelite national identity. 
One day you're part of a proud kingdom with a king and an army and a temple. And the next day, all those things are gone. They must have looked in the mirror and said, who are we? Are we even a nation anymore? What do we do now? Imagine Ezekiel thinking of people he knows who are spiritually dead. Intact in their body, perhaps, but dead in their souls. People who have given up on God and given up on hope. People who have concluded that God had abandoned his covenant with his so-called chosen people. Or people who had concluded that there really was no God at all. And everybody just needed to fend for themselves. When God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? He doesn't just mean physical death. He means death in all of its awful comprehensiveness. Physical, social, emotional, spiritual. And it's very telling that when God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel doesn't answer the question. You'd expect him to say, oh, yes, Lord, of course, you can do anything. But he doesn't. He just says, Lord God, you know. Can these bones live? One scholar calls this the Ezekiel question. The Ezekiel question. And there's a way in which the whole Old Testament... Abraham and Moses, David and Solomon, all the prophets lead up to this one climactic question. Can these bones live? Is anything more powerful than death? Can even death be undone? That was their question 2,500 years ago. And if we're honest... I think it's our question today, too. Put yourself in Ezekiel's place and look around the world. And you'll see the power of death just as vividly as he did. We see it in the brutally simple reality of physical death, which touches us all in so many ways. I think of the people I know who got a diagnosis this past year that changed their life a diagnosis of cancer or dementia or heart disease or something else. I think of the people I know who are bearing the heavy burden of caring for a spouse or a parent during their final days. I think of the people I know who are grieving a loved one, someone they've lost in this past year or even years before. And that pain just feels like it's never going to go away. Can these bones live? We see the power of death in the social and emotional death so many, many of us experience in our hearts and our relationships. I think of the people I know who realized this past year that their marriage was not going to work out. I think of the people I know who have an empty seat around their Easter dinner table for someone who should be there, but for whatever reason will not be there. I think of people experiencing the death-dealing power of anxiety or depression or mental illness, especially so many of our precious young people. 
I was talking to some pastor friends a couple months ago and one of them just said, you know, it feels like half the people I meet these days are just low-key depressed, just struggling to get by. And then, of course, there are the other social issues facing our country, racism and sexism, poverty and homelessness, polarization and democratic decay. Some of us are scared to send our kids to school because of the epidemic of mass shootings facing this country. And there's this peculiar mixture of numb detachment and furious anger. We wish things could change, but we don't exactly know how. Can these bones live? I think of the people I know grappling with spiritual death. The question of whether there's really any bigger meaning to life at all. You've got a great job and a great life and a great paycheck, but there's something missing, some larger purpose for why you're here. Is that all there is to life? You want to be a good person, but you can't stop thinking about those mistakes you made last week, last month, last year, a decade ago. You're haunted by them. Is there anyone who can set you free from what you've done? Can these bones live? So you see, the Ezekiel question is our question, too. Is anything stronger than death? Can death be undone? And that's why I chose this passage for today. Because the Ezekiel question brings us right to the heart of Easter Sunday. Christians are people who believe that God's answer to the Ezekiel question was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They believe that by raising Jesus from the dead, God confirmed the answer he gave to Ezekiel long ago, that death can be undone, that the dry bones of God's people can indeed live again. God told Ezekiel that he would open the tombs of his people and bring them back to life. He said, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. And the early Christians told stories about Jesus, their teacher and friend, who was publicly executed and laid in a borrowed grave. <laughs> and then three days later came up out of that grave. They told stories like the one we heard from the Gospel of Matthew at the start of this worship service, where the risen Jesus appears to his friends and tells them they don't have to be afraid. God told Ezekiel that he would breathe his spirit, his living power into the dead bodies of his people. And he told them, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And the early Christians told stories about the risen Christ appearing to his fearful, faithless disciples and breathing on them his Holy Spirit, changing them into convinced believers and devoted missionaries. 
These Christians quoted the words of another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, to express their answer to the Ezekiel question. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Life on the far side of death, resurrection life. That's what Easter's about, and that's God's answer to the Ezekiel question. To be a Christian is to dare to trust that something is more powerful than even death, the love of God. It means, in the words of the wonderful Dutch Christian Corey Ten Boom, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. As I close today, I want to tell you two stories. One story is a way I've seen God deliver someone out of death. And the second one is a story of how God delivers us through death. I've seen God deliver a man out of death, specifically the spiritual, emotional, relational death of addiction. It's a topic that affects all of us, very personal and painful for some of us. This man gave me permission to tell his story. He struggled with alcoholism for many years. He said his life was kind of like a cycle. He'd get up, He'd go to work, come home, put his kids to bed, and start drinking. Lather, rinse, repeat. And then one day, he went to a great banquet retreat, which is a non-sectarian Christian retreat. It's held here at the church a couple times a year. It's an amazing experience. And at that retreat, he heard the good news of Jesus Christ. He heard that there was a God who loved him, a God who would help him change, a God who wanted to give him a fresh start. And he'd heard that weekend before. He'd heard that message before. But that weekend, <laughs> the Holy Spirit was on the prowl, and it reached out and got him. It touched his heart. And sitting there in the basement of this church, he decided he wasn't going to drink anymore. And since that day, he hasn't. God's love delivered him out of the death of addiction. And the part of that story I find the most poignant is the newfound love and commitment and investment he's had for his family. Some time ago, he told me that his wife's dad has been, had been hospitalized for uh, some time and that the doctor said the prognosis was not good and his family decamped a couple states away to go and be with him as he got ready to pass. And for two long weeks, they waited, living out of a suitcase, managing kids, dealing with the stresses of that situation. And my friend was so thankful to be there even in the midst of that painful and difficult situation because he was there for his family. 
He was able to love them and support them and hold the family together and take care of them, things he would never have been able to do if he was still drinking. God's love can deliver us out of death. And God's love can deliver us through death. As many of you know, um, my wife, Becca, lost her father, Bob Sanders, a few years ago. Bob was, like us, a Presbyterian pastor. And he was more than that. He was someone we looked up to personally and professionally. When I was ordained as a pastor back in 2010, it was Bob who preached my ordination sermon. You can see there, there was a time in my life when I did have hair. It's a day that's sadly gone. But it was so special to have him involved in that day. And when our children were baptized, it was Bob who did those baptisms. And when some thorny or difficult situation came up in our ministry, we always wanted Bob's opinion. And he retired back in 2015, around the year my son was born. And we all looked forward to spending more time with him. But it was not to be. At age 67, he was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. And if you know someone that struggled with dementia, you know what an awful, painful disease it is. He was given around five years to live. And those next several years were particularly devastating for his family, especially for Becca, Bob's wife, his family, but also for me. I remember getting frustrated with him. Um, I'd explain something to him and he'd forget and I'd explain it for, again and he would forget again and I would get frustrated at him and then I'd get frustrated at myself for being frustrated at him. I remember watching his personality change as the sly, funny, charismatic man I knew slowly receded. I remember taking our family to go see him in Portland, Oregon to say goodbye one last time. And I remember the way um, my daughter cried when she saw how much he had changed. All of us felt the power of death in that time. The sadness and grief, the disappointment and yearning for something different, the anger and injustice at the lousy hand this faithful man of God had been dealt. And then he passed. In 2021, he was 71 years old. And we were all absolutely gutted, just wrecked. And then a couple weeks after he passed, something happened. I went for a walk by myself. It was a day a lot like today. It was a beautiful fall day in the Northeast. And as I often do when I go on walks, I began to pray. And I started praying for people pretty much at random. I prayed for my wife and my kids. I prayed for our church and those I knew. And then, completely out of habit, I began to pray for Bob. And I, of course, part of my brain knew that he had passed on at that point, but part of me was still on autopilot. So I said, dear Lord, please be with Bob, bless him and watch over him. That's about as far as I got. And then I stopped short. 
And it was one of those times in your life when you really feel God speak to you. And what God said to me was, Dave, you don't have to pray for Bob anymore. He is okay. He is just fine. He's with me. He has crossed over the river and entered into the promised land. He is in my arms now where nothing can hurt him. And I felt this deep sense of relief and gratitude and peace in the midst of that painful moment because I knew it was true. Death didn't have the last word over our family. Bob had been delivered through death into a love beyond death. Can these bones live? Sooner or later, we all ask that Ezekiel question. Christians are those who believe Jesus' resurrection was God's answer to the Ezekiel question who believe that God says to them just what he said to Ezekiel 2,500 years ago. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will live. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. Because Christ is risen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.